Ask them who's buying lunch today. That would be a good conversation starter. Hey, I'm thrilled you're here. We are doing a series oh, called Building Blocks. I know. We're doing a series called Building Blocks. And Building Blocks, the way I'm using the term, is it's our core values or our main beliefs that guide our life. Now, how many know everybody's got them? If you're an apartment manager, you've got some core beliefs of how you're going to run that, par- uh, that, that apartment. If you're a gangster, you've got core beliefs too. How many know they're different? If you're a school teacher, if you're a dad, uh, if you're President Trump, if you're President Obama, who, we all have core beliefs that shape the decisions. It helps us figure out how to do things. Well, this morning, and I've been, this is a series where I'm talking about the bigger picture Christianity, how to build the foundation for a blessed life. And uh, uh, this block we're going to look at today, the blocks, of course, like a foundation of our life, is a block called character. And my contention is, is if you and I will embrace what I'm going to call biblical character, we'll find the favor of God and the favor of man. Now, character by definition... Well, actually, let me, let me read my text and I'll talk about it a little more. Genesis chapter 39. Um, we're beginning with a man named Joseph, probably my favorite Old Testament character, Joseph, as a young man, 17 years of age, he was, he was taken violently from his family. His knucklehead brothers threw him in a pit. They were jealous. They wanted to kill him. God sent some slave traders. Now, isn't this interesting? God didn't send an angel to get him out of the pit. God sent some slave traders to take him to Egypt because God had a plan and a work for him. So he shows up in Egypt. He's a slave. He's a foreigner. And he's purchased, literally bought. This young man of God is bought as a slave by a man named Potiphar. Potiphar is like the vice president of the land, vice president of Pharaoh. And lo and behold, after just a few years, here's what this verse says. Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. He didn't worry about a thing except the kind of food he wanted to eat. Now, I want you to think of the biggest house that you know somebody lives in. I want you to think of their property. I want you to think of all it takes to make that run. I want you to think of a man of great power and great wealth. His name was Potiphar, and he gave the keys to everything to this slave. Now, if you work for someone, how many know if they're going to give you the keys to the company, the keys to the front door, or the password to the computer, how many know it's because they trust you? I mean, if they're going to give you the company credit card, it's not so you can run down to Dillard's and buy something new. They're giving you the company credit card to make it easier to run the company, but they give it to you because they trust you, and they trust you because you have character. And I'm going to suggest the exact same thing. What I'm talking about with Joseph, why he got this great responsibility given to him, is because he was honest, dependable, and trustworthy. Let me say it again. He was honest. He told the truth. He was dependable. He could be counted on. And he was trustworthy. So this man was able to give him this. So I want to dig into this deeper. I want to talk to you a little bit more about what character means. And then we're going to look in the Bible at several illustrations. We're going to look at someone that had ungodly character, bad character. And then we're going to look at the flip side. Some people who had what we're calling biblical character that were honest, dependable, trustworthy men and women. And it opened a door to them for great work on the earth and and the kingdom of God. So let's begin. Building block number six. And I asked the question, what is character? And if I could show it to you visually this way, I want to show you a movie clip from a movie called Courageous. 
And I think you'll be able to identify with the dilemma of this young man. Let's think about it through the lens of character. It's been very productive your first month here. You did good work. I'm very grateful to be here. Well, Mr. Martinez, the reason I called you in here is that I'm looking for an additional manager to oversee inventory and shipping. It carries more responsibility, but it pays more. Sound like something you might be interested in? Yes, I would. But before I make my final decision, I'd like for you to work a shift in that department next week. You'll see a list of 17 crates coming in on this sheet. One of those crates will be going to a separate warehouse. Mr. Martinez, when you report the inventory, I'd like for you to report that we received 16 crates. 17 are coming in. But you want me to write down 16? Yes, that's right. I have another purpose for the extra crate. You are on my team, right? Because I really can't use people who aren't on my team. Javi, we need this job. For the first time in a year, we're able to pay the bills. I know, Carmen, but he made it very clear. If I was not a team player, he did not want me there. Maybe it's not wrong. It just looks that way. He's the owner of the factory. He asked me to write down false information, Carmen. He asked me to lie. No pressure there, is it? <laughs> you can tell he needs the job, and you can tell he knows he may lose it because he didn't know if his boss is crooked or straight. Are, are you with me today? You know, he's new in the American culture. He doesn't want to cross any boundaries, but still, it's an issue of character. Now, we'll pick up his story later and see what he does. But character, by definition, it's our nature. It's how we behave. It's our morality. It defines who we are. It's our ethics. Uh, it can be good or it can be bad. It can be just or unjust, legal or, 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 or not legal. But our character forms our reputation. And people develop a, a, our reputation is formed over time as people assess our character. In other words, if, you, if you're working for someone and, 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 and they're looking for someone to be more responsible to close the shop at the end of the day, well, they're going to watch you. They're going to watch you. They're going to see if, you're, if, you're, if you leave uh, uh, early but yet click the time card like you left at the right time. They're going to see how you take care of your desk. Do you lock things up? Character forms our reputation. And this, let me say this about character. Character is revealed under pressure. Because it's one thing to say what I would do if I was in his shoes in the video. How many know that if, if you're in those shoes and your job depends on it and you just got bought a house and you got a big mortgage and you can't lose the job and you don't have a lot of savings, how many know it's, a, it's, it's different then? But pressure will bring out your true nature and character. Back to Joseph, Psalm 105. The psalmist said of Joseph that God sent someone to Egypt ahead of the Israelite people, the Jewish nation. So God was involved in the process. He sent Joseph, who was sold as a slave. Now listen to this. When he came in slavery, they bruised his feet with fetters. In other words, they shackled his feet together, and they placed his, uh, on his neck an iron collar. And until that time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's... Now, see, we know today what Joseph didn't know then. Joseph was 17. He'd had dreams that he would have some leadership role, but he didn't know what it meant. Now we read the story, and now we see that Joseph would become literally the savior of the world. He would feed the world as an interpreting a dream. But God had to prove this young man to see what was inside him, to test him. 
And our character is only truly revealed when we're tested. Now, if you look in the Bible, you would see literally dozens of verses, and I won't read them, but about character attributes, and then dozens of verses about the ungodly attributes. And if I could share just a couple, godly character, things like being honest, compassionate, humble, blameless, harmless, faithful, just. Oh, we could go on loving, dependable, pure, devout. The flip side, the character of the unbeliever, the wicked. They're detestable, they're boastful, they're proud, they're covetous. Deceitful, disobedient, envious, foolish. It's what's in our heart that's been nurtured through life. Now, let me kind of with that undergirding of character, let's look at the two opposites. Let's look at first ungodly character. We're going to look at a woman named Jezebel and a man in the New Testament named Simon. And then we'll go to the positive side and we'll see several, actually three different verses about, and about how men chose the place of character and God honored and God blessed them. Because again, the purpose of me sharing this is not just to share biblical history, but it's built on the supposition that if I have godly character, I'm more apt to have a blessed life. Come on. I'm more apt to be in a place where God can bless me and God can use my life not only for my benefit, but for his kingdom if my character lines up with his principles and his word. So let's begin with a gal named Jezebel, 1 Kings 21. Don't name your children Jezebel. It's not a favorable biblical name. 1 Kings 21, verse 1, there was a man named Naboth. He was an ordinary guy like you and I. He owned a vineyard in the town of Jezreel beside the palace of King Ahab. So I want you to imagine just this gorgeous palace. And there's a little block of ground. Maybe it's the size of the sanctuary. He's got some grapes planted there. He's got figs. He's got a garden. And it belongs to him. And property is not sold, you know, on the MLS like it is today. And if you're a Jew, when you came from Egypt, Moses gave each of the families, the 12 tribes, blocks of land. And within those blocks, each family got a portion. And this land would be passed through the generations. And they had what was called the year of Jubilee. So, you know, if you went south, if you lost everything, you had to hawk your land, the year of Jubilee would come back to you. So it, it, it had a rightful place biblically, not just in economics. But bottom line, Ahab wanted to buy it, and this guy had a right to say no. Naboth said, uh, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance passed down by my ancestors. All right, ladies, if you want to see that there's another grown man pouting, here's one right here. <laughs> Ahab went home angry and sullen because of his answer. He went to bed with his face to the wall and refused to eat. And some translations say he put his finger back in his mouth. No, I'm just teasing on that one. Guys, we ever pout? No, I didn't ask you ladies. I asked the guys. We pout when we don't get what we want. But now, notice, he still recognized the guy's right to have the land. He was a pouter, but he didn't do anything unethical to take it away. But now notice his sweet little wife. Jezebel, verse 7, she said, baby, don't worry about it. I'll get you Naboth's vineyard. And she is not going to do it in a godly fashion. And there's, there's, there's no character in her heart for, for the Lord. Verse 8, she writes letters in Ahab's name. Mind you now, how many have ever gotten a letter from the IRS? Okay. Now, did you just disregard it? Did you just say, now, like for me, if I get anything related to business, I just stick it in my drawer, and once a month I go through it. Many bills or anything like that. 
But if it's from the IRS, I'm going to open it that day. I mean, there's just some letters that get our attention. Very few are like that. But if you know it's one, it, how many know if you get a, a letter from a, an attorney? Now, you may be in denial a little while and stick it under the car seat, but you're going to read that thing. Well, that's exactly what they got. She wrote letters to people there in that city in Ahab's name. He's the king, and he sent them to the leaders of the town where Naboth lived. And the letter said, call the citizens together, give Naboth a place of honor. I mean, no, just because somebody's being nice to you doesn't mean they're not fixing to take advantage of you. Gave him a place of honor, and then he seated two scoundrels across from him who were going to accuse him of cursing God and king. Some would argue that this could well be a capital crime, and if there were two witnesses, you could be stoned to death. Take him out and stone him, she said. These two scoundrels accuse him of cursing. Uh, verse 13, then the two scoundrels came, sat down across from him. They ate their happy meal or whatever they ate, and then they accused Naboth before all the people. They drag him outside the town and stone him to death. And The town leaders sent word to Jezebel, Naboth has been stoned to death. See, they were afraid of her. She was intimidating. She was the bully. Naboth has been stoned, just like you wanted me to do. I acted unbiblically, unethically. I did something wrong because you were motivated by wrong, and I was afraid of you. Jezebel heard the news. She smiled and said to her husband, You know that vineyard Naboth wouldn't sell you? You can have it now. He's dead. Let's talk a little bit about this woman. She used lying, deceit. Manipulation and intimidation to get what she wanted. Lying, deceiving, manipulating, intimidating. Uh, it's called, modern day, we call it situation ethics. We're taught it in school, we see it in, in, in shows, we see it lived out every day. We particularly see it in politics. Situation ethics, by definition, it means simply saying and doing what I must to get what I want. I'll say anything, I'll do anything to get what I want because the agenda is all that matters. If I want your field, I'm going to find a way to take it. If I want your boyfriend, come on now, I'm going to find a way to get him. If I want your job, I'm going to find a way to do it. If I want in office, I'm going to find a way to get in political office. I'm going to find a way. If I've got money, I'll hire an attorney. We'll set something up like you. We'll hire a detective. I'm going to, I'm going to do whatever I have to do to get what I want. That's the spirit here. I want to suggest to you, most politicians and most in the mainstream media do this every day. I, of course, you, you would have to literally be living in a hole to not know that since, even before President Trump was elected, the, 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 the party line, so to speak, in America has been the Russians colluded uh, with the Trump administration and they stole the election from Hillary Clinton. And since before the election, I mean, there has just been the big guns out. Now, who knows how many investigations there are. Last week, there was a, a special in, and prosecutor appointed all to go after and say uh, something was done between Trump and, and you know, he deserves to, to, to not be our president. Now, I found this interesting. Last uh, week, I, I read what Jay Johnson said. Jay Johnson was the former head of the Department of Homeland Security. That's the group that protects America from this kind of stuff. And he was President Obama's, the head of his DHS. And here's what he said before Congress. He said, uh, on election day, DHS assembled a crisis response team to rapidly address any reported computer intrusions in the election process. In other words, 
They contacted every state in America saying, look, if you think something's going wrong, you call us and we're going to be on top of this. We're going to make sure there's integrity in our elections. Uh, and then he said this, to my knowledge, the Russian government did not through any cyber or computer intrusion alter any ballots. They didn't do anything to alter a ballot count or anything to uh, alter the reporting of the election results. Now, this is the head of the guy that's over it. So here's my question. Why has all this stuff been going on? Why is the pot being stirred every day on our local newspaper, on most radio stations, television stations? Why is this happening? Now, here's something sad. If I were to tell you what I thought about it, I would polarize some of you because we're more connected by our political connections and our racial connections and our gender connections, come on, and our social connections than we are by that little cup and that piece of bread. So I won't tell you exactly what I thought about all this, but I will say this. I think we're being manipulated. I think people are being intimidated. I think people are being bribed. I think people are being lied to and being deceived, all because there's a political agenda and all because situation and ethics says it doesn't matter about what's right and wrong behavior. What matters is do whatever you have to do to get what you want. And that's America. That's what Jezebel did. The word lie, Jezebel lied, told these guys to lie, means making false statements to mislead people. To be deceitful, it means to cause people to believe what's false. You apply for a job. Uh, have you ever stolen anything? No. Ever been in jail? No. Have you ever hit your wife? No. How about let me ask you this question. Do you still hit your wife? You can't really answer that one, can you? Manipulate means to get what you want by exploiting or harming someone. Let me give you a New Testament manipulator. His name is Simon. Acts chapter 8. There was a man named Simon in the city of Samaria... Before Philip came there, Simon had practiced magic. And this could just be sleight of hand as we know magic. It could be sorcery. The NIV translates it sorcery. And that definition is uh, 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 sorcery is controlling people or nature by demonic power. But some way this man was manipulating people. He amazed the people of Samaria. Listen to this. He bragged and called himself a great man. He did all this manipulation to cause people to follow him. All the people paid attention to Simon, saying, This man has the power of God. And Simon amazed them with his magic so long, the people became his followers. And I want to suggest to you manipulators are trying to get you and I to follow them. I am shocked to say this, but I had deception and manipulation in my home just yesterday. It's true. My wife's out helping somebody, so I'm going to say this. She and my daughter schemed. My daughter says, Daddy, come in the kitchen. I want to show you a magic trick. And I said, okay, Rebecca. So she comes in and she takes a bottle of water and a dime in her hand. And she puts that dime in the counter and says, Daddy, I can put that dime inside this bottle. And she put the bottle on top of it. I said, I don't believe it. She said, pulled out her little towel and she put it over it, and she says, abracadabra, alakazam, whatever. And she took it off. 
She looked down in that bottle. She said, there it is. I said, no, it's not. And I did that, and she squeezed the bottle, and water came all over Daddy's face. My wife was laughing like you're laughing. I married an Italian with mafia connections. Deception is in my home. Now, that's a joke. It was funny. They laughed more than I did, but it was funny. But, but, but I'm, talking about, I'm talking about controlling lives. I'm talking about the stuff that happens in high school with boys and girls. I'm talking about the way we cheat on tests. I'm talking about the way contractors steal. I'm talking about the way politicians lie. I'm talking about the way that we get ahead in modern America today. Uh, to intimidate, uh, back to Jezebel, it's to make someone afraid they'll be harmed in some way. It's to strong arm them, to bully them, to coerce them into submitting or obedience. It's to terrorize a person. It's what an IRS investigation initiated against you will do. The legal system, the threat of a lawsuit, or a Facebook post, or somebody just pushes you in the bathroom and said, listen, if you don't shut your mouth, if you say one more word about this, I'm going to kill you because I know where you live. It's intimidation. She used all these tactics. I mean, no, that's, what, that's, that's ungodly character. Now, let me kind of flip just a second because we can get caught up in it too. It's a good chance you can make more money by lying and stealing than being honest for a while. It's a good chance you can get what you want if you manipulate your way in, but you may get in there and may find that without God's blessing, you don't want what you got. Keep going here. Let me look at some godly character. A couple examples. 2 Kings 22. King Josiah, he's a good king. And he's repairing the temple. And what the king said was, Go to Hilkiah the high priest and have him count the money the gatekeepers have collected from the people at the temple of the Lord. Entrust this money to men assigned to supervise and restore the temple. And then they can use it to pay the workers to repair the temple. Now verse 7 caught my eye. It made me pause. It said, Don't require the construction supervisors to keep account of the money they received, for they are... Honest and trustworthy men. This reminds you of the day, my grandfather's day, my dad's day, when you would shake your hand and your hand was your word. If you shook your hand and said that you would sell them this bull when it gets big for $500, I don't care if it's a $1,000 bull, come on. You, you gave your word. Now, in America today, the company that was remodeling the temple would have lengthy contracts and have to be bonded for non-performance. But why didn't these guys require this kind of strict accounting? Why didn't they have an independent CPA firm, come on now, do an audit of, them, of their books before and after? Why didn't that happen? It's because they had character. They trusted these supervisors, and this trust was earned because they were honest, dependable, and trustworthy over time. They had integrity. They didn't lie and steal to get ahead. Now I want you to pause just a second and ask you this question. What kind of reputation do, do, do you have today? I look in the mirror. What kind of reputation do I have? Do I take what doesn't belong from it to me? Do I borrow something and not give it back? Do I borrow something? Maybe it's a shotgun or whatever the case is, and it's in my closet. They left it behind my truck. And you look there a couple months ago later and say, Shazam, look what the Lord gave me. Because after all, possession is nine-tenths of the law. Where did you hear that from? I've never heard a law like that. But somehow, how I many know all this is our reputation? 
It's all our reputation. Um, let me read another one. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, Paul had been raising money for, from Gentile churches to help the needy saints in Jerusalem. If you read through the New Testament, as I hope you do, I read my Bible every day. I read it this morning before church, not to help me with the sermon, but simply because I wanted to spend some time in God's Word, let God speak to me. I do it every day of my life. If I miss a day, I'll pick it up tomorrow. That's why we've got that Bible app. You can download it. Church on the Rock, Texarkana. It's the first thing on the app is your Bible reading. Or there's a, there's a written one in the back of your chair. But anyway, uh, we read a couple days ago this passage, and it stuck out to me. Paul had been raising money from, from, from the Gentiles. There was a prophecy by a man named Agabus, and he said a famine is coming to Jerusalem. So then what he did, he said, we're going to help our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. Because we Gentiles owe a debt to the Jews because Jesus was born a Jew. Now, he'd been raising this money, and uh, now it's time to bring it to him. And 2 Corinthians 8, 19, the brother who was chosen by the churches to go with us. Now, we don't know his name, but someone from Macedonia. He and Titus were going to deliver this gift of money. Now, listen to verse 20 and 21. We're being careful so no one will criticize us for the way we're handling this large gift. Now, why did it matter if he was criticized? If they trusted him less, the next time, come on, how many know they wouldn't contribute to the fund? If they got back word that, that you know, he didn't want to work a while, so he just took his share, his whatever portion, how many know that doesn't, that doesn't foster a relationship like this to build the kingdom of God? But then he says this, we're trying hard to do what the Lord accepts is right and also what... People think is right. So we want to do right things in the eyes of the Lord, but we want to do right things in the eyes of other people. Why? Because it forms our reputation. And if I build a life that's based on godly character, I will be more apt to be able to have an influence in their lives spiritually. Let me tell you something that happened to me the other day I'm a little bit ashamed of. I think I'm going to blame it on my wife since she's not here. Our air conditioner went out. We had two units in the house, got a smaller unit in the kitchen. And I signed up a number of months ago for one of these, you know, national companies that, you know, you pay them whatever it is, $70 a month, then they'll come out and fix anything that breaks. And our air conditioner went out, and a guy came out here and basically told me he's not going to fix it, and now I owe him so much money. I did not get very happy about that because I'd signed the contract and I specified the particular item now your preacher didn't cuss, okay? I didn't slap him around. But I didn't respond very well. And when he left my house, I felt bad. But I knew that this was going to be an ongoing deal, and he called me back in a couple days, and I said, oh, wait a minute, before you say anything, I need to apologize to you for the way I acted to you. I know this wasn't your fault and you're in the middle. You know, some people just rub you wrong. I think a personality just rubs you wrong or maybe you're up on the wrong side of the bed or whatever, but it just rubs you wrong. Well, it rubbed me wrong that day and I had to, before I let him say another word, I had to ask him to forgive me for the way I was. Why did I do that? Because I'm a Christian. Because all the time I'm thinking, I want to ask this guy about Jesus. I want to invite him to the church and now I've not treated him real well. So every time I see him, this lasts about a month, every time I see him or talk to him, I have this little twinge going on inside me. And then when he finally installs it, installs the compressor, he said, 
I heard you on the radio. I'm thinking, oh. <laughs> now, what matters in that whole conversation? The fact that, bless God, I got what I paid for, and I'm giving him a dirty dog uh, survey, and I'm going to quit the company right after this because I got more money now. And then I, is that what matters? Or is our reputation matter? Now, look, I'm not saying don't throw your money away. Don't waste your money. I'm not saying don't be taken advantage of. Stand up for yourself. But what I am saying is be careful the way we live so we as Christians can't be criticized for what we do as believers. Come on, somebody give the Lord a good hand today. Back to Paul. He said, I'm trying hard to do what's right in the eyes of God and man. He, he was honest, dependable, and trustworthy. He had integrity. And integrity, friend, fosters ongoing relationships, particularly with money. I want, you, I want to read you something uh, quickly here from a missionary. It's a, a man I met. He's from Nepal. Nepal is where the church is persecuted very violently today. Uh, he, he, he was schooled in America. And uh, anyway, he writes me an email. He said, Dear Pastor John, greetings. Uh, please, you and your congregation, pray for our situation in Nepal. Last week, a believer was shot by an unknown person. And now after surgery, he, he's out of danger. Uh, next day, someone burns two motorbikes and a car in a Catholic church. A year ago, a bomb blasted there and two people were killed. And now there's some of these extremists that are threatening pastors. I mean, no, no, that's, that's, I, I can't relate to any of that. The worst thing any of someone's done to, to me is said, I don't like what you said on the radio. Then he says, a second thing, a young man accepted Christ while I shared the gospel in 2014. He started witnessing his testimony in the village, how he became a follower of Christ. People started believing in Christ as the number of believers increased their need of a worship house. And this time they have to purchase a piece of land and the cost in U.S. dollars is about 2000 They already have 1000 They've got to pay another. They need to build a worship house. Please don't mind as I share this need with you. We're already thankful for your generous gift because you already built two worship houses now, these two worship houses are full of new believers that we'll never meet. See, we take, whenever you bring your tithe or undesignated in the church, we put 13% of it in an outreach fund, and we reach outside in our city and outside into the world. So we built them two churches. They're full of believers. He says, praise God, people together for prayer and worship anytime. The worship house is the only meeting place for higher and lower caste in this area. I'm going to say that's a good thing. So what he's doing, though, is he's saying, will you invest some more money? And then he shows the picture. This is him. And this is the brother. And this is where they want to build it. Keep going. And we sent half of it. We sent, I think, 3,500. They still need 3,500. Keep going. And then he sends this in the mail a receipt for what we got for you. John Church on the Rock, uh, uh, 360,000 rupees, which is $3,500. And as they start building the thing, he'll start sending copies of receipts. What does that do? It says, I have integrity. I'm doing what I said. We're taking your money. We're invested in the gospel work. We want to do things honest in the sight of God and man. How many know that fosters relationship? Whereas if somebody, come on, if they cut it off the top or if they don't do what they say they're going to do, then, then, then it falls apart. This is all about character, and it's not just for preachers and churches. It's for the life that you live. 
Let me give you another one, uh, and I'll close with this one. Uh, the third example of, of Christian character. Now, we, again, we talked about a, a, a king and the accounting of those supervisors. We talked about Paul raising money. Let me talk to you about the character of church leaders in the New Testament. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. Now, the overseer or the elder or bishop, these are leaders in the local church. These are the people you're to pick. They need to be above reproach, which means they're, you know, they're pretty near blameless. They're not perfect, but they're living, they're living the life. Uh, faithful to his wife, self-controlled. You know, uh, you're not doing that to every air conditioner guy. Come on, you're with me today. There, Maybe one every once in a while. Respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. You manage your own family well, and you'll do so in a manner worthy of full respect so people will respect the way that your kids are growing, the way you treat your spouse. Verse 7, he must also have a good reputation with outsiders. Why is that? So the testimony of Christ won't be damaged. Now, would you think about that list just a second and tell me what's, what's missing? Not one mention of a spiritual gift. Not one mention of how well he preaches. Not one mention of how he looks on TV. Come on. Not one mention of charisma, but mention of character. You illustrate. Let's say if you're, if, if you're a, a, a church leader, uh, let's say you're a small group leader. I don't care what it is, Sunday school leader, teaching kids, and uh, you pray about it and uh, about your, your meeting coming up. And, and, and if this rubber band is you and the air is what the Lord's giving you, I mean, you go and, and you preach a good sermon down at that youth house. And I'm talking about kids are getting saved and, and they're coming to God and families are turning around and, and you pray some more and... Y'all do an outreach and you're taking it to the cities around Texarkana and you go up to Nashville and they had like 600 people come in a stadium in Nashville. Almost 80-something people make steps to Christ. And then you have leaders over at your house. You're prophesying over those leaders. And I mean, people are being built up. But the problem is you don't have the character to tie not to hold these gifts. And the first time greed or temptation of some kind comes to you, or you look in the mirror and think a little highly of yourself, all of a sudden you don't have the character. And then people are looking around and say, where'd he go? What happened? And the one that was is now a was not because you didn't have a character to sustain the gift. Come on, I'm preaching better than you're amening now. Let me, uh, let me close with this. Godly character is, the mo is more important than money, power, or position. Yes. Now, remember this video offer we saw? If this guy loses his job, he's going to have a financial problem. Unless God somehow intervenes now, I mean, he's going to have a financial problem. He's going to miss perhaps a meal. He may lose a car. He may lose a car payment. But your reputation, the Bible says, is more important than your power, your position. Whatever you have to do to get there, if you used ungodly character, it's going to fall apart. Proverbs 22, verse 1, here's how I say it. He says, choose a good reputation over great riches. Ecclesiastes says, a good reputation is better than a fat bank account. Why is that? It's because God honors character. And sooner or later, character will cause you to prosper and prevail. Let's close with this video clip, and then we're going to have a final word of prayer.
morning, sir. Good morning, Mr. Martinez. How are you this morning? Fine, thank you. How are you? I don't know yet. Please, have a seat. I trust you've had time to think about our conversation yesterday. Yes, sir, I did. And what did you decide? Are you on my team? Mr. Tyson, I am very grateful to have a job here. I cannot do as you have asked. And why is that? Because it is wrong, sir. And it would be dishonoring to my God and my family to lie on that report. Do you understand what this may do to your job here? Yes, sir, I do. Javier, may I shake your hand? Young man, you just gave me the right answer. I've been looking for someone to manage inventory and shipping, and quite frankly, you were the last person on my list. But I need somebody I can trust. Will you take the job? We'll adjust your pay. I would be honored to, sir. Good. Then the job is yours. Now, Walter will go over all the specifics with you, and I'll make the announcement to the staff on Monday. Congratulations, Javier. Oh, and Javier, thanks for your integrity. It's rare. Why don't you stand to your feet, and we're going we're gonna to close in prayer today. You say, oh, that was a movie. Your life is a movie. Your life is a movie. I can't guarantee you that every boss is going to treat you the way that they just treated Javier. But I can tell you this, I know a lot of business people, and every one of them is looking for somebody that's honest. Every business person I know wants to hire. Nobody wants to hire someone that up front that they know is going to steal, come on, embezzle, lie, be untruthful, damage the reputation of the company, take tools home with them. Nobody wants to hire somebody like that. Everybody I know is looking for people that have character. But you may face a situation in life one day where the guy that asked you the question that he asked Javier is crooked. This guy happened to be honest, and he wants a crooked person to do that. Well, guess what? If you walked out of there having lost your job, you've still built your life on godly character. And you see, I didn't tell you this is the way to build your life for the American path of success. I said if you want God's blessing in your life, then build it on a belief in the resurrection, build it on a relationship with God, build it on living by the words of the Bible, live with eternity in mind, make the purpose of your life be that for which God created you and have Christian character. And if you build your life that way, friend, I can double-dog guarantee you that the Lord himself will bless you and cause his face to shine on you, and one day he'll look at you and he'll say, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray this morning. Would you bow your heads a minute? And I, I just want you to, I want you to pray and say, Lord, what are, you, what are you saying to me this morning? And I would imagine the Holy Spirit could have brought a lot of things to mind. For some of us, you might have remembered about a right choice you made a while back and how you stood and how good it made you feel. And maybe God, you felt him being proud of you. For others, it's the way you live. You're not perfect, but you do your best to live this way. You keep your word. And the Lord's just encouraging you, keep going. Don't stop. 
for others that maybe there's some corrections needed. I had to correct myself with the air conditioner, fella. Maybe, maybe you need a little adjustment here. Just say yes to the Lord on it. Because God, we want to have great reputations because we don't want to bring dishonor to Christ. We want to be blessed on this earth, but we're a part of a bigger kingdom. I got to be a bigger man. Help us, Holy Spirit. Slip your hands to heaven. Because, Lord, this is not always easy. Sometimes as a businessman, I've got to, I've got to eat what I thought was going to be profit. Now I've got to pay more. Sometimes we have to humble ourselves and go to a person we've done wrong. But, Holy Spirit, I want to ask you to help us do right because it's right. Because we know you're watching. And like Joseph of the Old Testament, had character. And he lived through the season of the chains. And he ended up in the palace. Because he was a man that was honest, dependable, and trustworthy. And let it be the same for us. In Jesus' name. Hey, here's how we're going to close. We're going to sing one song. And, and I want to ask you, unless you just have an emergency or something, just stay with us here during this song. Because this is a chance when people can respond to God and pray. And uh, we're going to have a prayer team up here in just a few moments, and they'll pray with you about anything. See, I think one of the worst things you can do is have a real burden in your life, a problem, a need, a struggle, a big decision that you brought to church and you leave church the same way. And I mean the same way, I mean you didn't really give God much chance to do something for it. Sadly, in a larger crowd, it's pretty much a monologue conversation, and you might not have had a chance to tell someone I'm going in tomorrow for surgery. I, I, I want to pray that God would help me. You might need to pray, I've lost my job. And you need to talk to somebody. Not because they're the answer man, but because they know the answer man. Come on. And our prayers can make a difference. So we'll pray with you about anything. Last night a woman came in the sanctuary. I could tell she was distraught. And she said, please pray for me. I, I just don't know if I can continue living my life. Things are falling apart. Listen, God cares. Let us join our faith to yours. You may have a burden for one of your kids or your spouse, whatever it may be. But prayer is here for you today. But the most important thing we'd like to pray about is your own personal relationship with God. I want to commend you for being here. I want to commend you for taking communion and coming through the service. But I'll tell you, you can go to church and not be a Christian. I was raised in church. Glad mom got me there. But going to church won't make you a Christian. I would try to do the best that I could to live right on Communion Sunday in the Methodist Church. We would, we would have communion, and uh, my goal would be to be nice to my sister for the day. As, as boy. Sometimes, I've just as soon as I got in the car after church, communion went out the window. Other times, I made it an hour or two. But you know what? You can't be good enough to get to heaven. That's the whole reason Jesus died. That's the whole reason that communion was about is to recognize Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for me because He wants to take my place on Judgment Day. It was my sins that took Christ to the cross. And He wants to forgive my sins if I'll trust in Him, if I'll believe in Him and follow Him. Well, maybe that's what you need to do today. Maybe you're at a spiritual crossroads in life and you feel like I'm talking right to you right now. That's not me. That's the Holy Spirit. Because I'm telling you what a man told me when I was 19 years of age. That if I would put my trust in Christ, if I would believe in Him and start to follow Him, 
He changed my life. And that's why that part about following Christ, I'm going to ask you to step out of your chair in just a moment and come over to the cross. Not because we want anything from you. We're not going to embarrass you. I'm I'm not inviting you to join the church. Now, you can do that later if you want to. You don't have to. I'm simply saying you need to begin to follow Christ. And there'll be somebody there that will pray for you as you make the greatest commitment of your life. So as we begin to sing right now, Pastor Nick's going to sing. Our prayer team is coming up front. They're going to be here to pray for anyone that's here. But particularly if you need to make a step to Christ, if you're not sure where you'll spend eternity, you're ready to get right with God, have the courage and come and meet us at the cross. And God will be there, I promise, friend, in that prayer. And he'll change your life. I love you. Thanks for coming today.